Hope you had a nice weekend. If you're visiting, we're very honored to have you at Summit Christian Center today. We're in a series called The Force of Prayer. Believe me, it's not boring. And if you missed last week, the power of persistent prayer. Persistence is a key to just about any kind of a breakthrough in any area of life, and particularly in prayer. We're encouraged to be persistent. Some of you just take no eternally. It, one no, you're finished. And I'm going to show you you're making a tragic mistake. And even the Lord gave a parable about persistence. So if you missed it, I hope you'll get it. And you're going you're to enjoy today as well, because I'm really going to challenge complacency and apathy and being a good loser. I know Mommy told you that, but Mommy was wrong, because in the kingdom of God you're more than a conqueror, you are not a loser, so you don't choose to be. Your life and mine are all about choices. Winning is a choice. Life is all about the choices you and I make. Choices have consequences. I have a free will. I can choose to do what I want, but I don't get to choose the consequences I want. You're going you're gonna to reap what you sow, good or bad. It's all about choices. If you think your husband is one of the worst pieces of human flesh God ever created, you chose him. Take responsibility. Same for the male to the female. You chose the boyfriend. You chose the 12 cats. You chose to charge on your credit card. You chose. I'm tired of hearing everybody blame somebody else for what you chose. Yeah, you take responsibility as the first key of a successful life in the kingdom of God. God can help you through it. God can help you out of it. But He can't do a thing until you acknowledge the fact it was your choice. You are today what you chose to be yesterday, and you're going to be tomorrow what you've chosen to be today. And I'm glad you've chosen to be here today. That is a good choice. Every great event in your life is the byproduct of the choices you and I have made. You didn't get where you are today, today. You've been working at it, baby, a long time by the choices that you make. So we're going to look at a formula for winning in life in this force of prayer, and it's called asking. The Bible is saturated with wisdom for God to man concerning success in all areas of our life. It's hope for tomorrow, it's guidance for today, it's freedom from fear of the future, and it's freedom from the guilt and shame of the past. God's Word can break the shackles of misery and habit and set captives free. That's what He does. Here's our text, Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who cries—oh, I'm sorry—everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Does that sound aggressive to you? Yeah. Asking, seeking, knocking. And in the Greek, it's continuous. Keep on asking, just like your kids. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking, keep on finding, keep on knocking. It keeps on opening. It's a continuous case. It's not one time. It's continuous. So let's think about that. Ask, and it shall be given to you. 
Verse 11, Matthew 7, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to those that join the church? No. That sing in the choir? No. That don't smoke? No. That become deacons, elders, and leaders? No. How much more will God give good things to those that ask Him? Matthew 18, verse 19, if two of you, not 5,000, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that you ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 21, 22, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer believing, you shall receive. 1 John 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything of Him according to His will, He will hear us. And when He says according to His will, if it's in the Word of God, it's His will. That's how you know. Matthew 7, verse 8, for everyone who asks, not special ones, everyone who asks receives. You know, when the Founding Fathers of our nation gathered in Pennsylvania to draft the documents that would create the United States of America, they recognized they did not have the wisdom to do it by themselves. And there were some brilliant men in that room. So they did what intelligent men do. They prayed. They asked God for divine guidance for the structuring of the new republic that would become known forever as the United States of America. And may God bless our nation and those that have defended life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in our nation today. God bless you. God thank you. If you could ask Jesus in person on this stage, and, and you could, because He is, because Scripture says where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there, what would you ask Him? Do you need healing for your body? Ask Him. Do you need restoration for a broken marriage? Ask Him. Do you need your business to experience a financial turnaround? Ask. Do you want grown children to come to Christ? Ask. Would you like for God to send a godly spouse that would fill your life with joy, romance, and happiness? And all the girls said, yes, then ask, ask, and don't ask for somebody warm and breathing. Be specific what you want, but you ask. It gets worse. Hang on. <laughs> Do you, my wife said, what steroids are you on? Do you need hope for tomorrow? Well, then ask. Do you need mountains of impossibility to be moved into a sea? Ask. Understand. Please get it. It's your initiative, not God's. God said, whatever you ask in prayer, I'll do it. Whatever you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I will loose on heaven. God does nothing until, believer, you ask Him. As powerful as God is, He can do nothing for you until you start praying. And it's just talking to God, asking. That's why prayer is the most powerful weapon you will ever wield in this life. Asking is not optional. If you don't ask, you get nothing. Now think about it in the secular world for a minute. Asking is the world's most powerful and neglected secret to success, to business, to permanent growth, and to development. You know, many of you are holding yourself back because you're simply afraid to ask for help or for guidance or for assistance. Well, I don't want anybody to know I have a problem. Well, they're going to find out. 
If you don't get an answer, you got a marriage problem, ask somebody qualified to help and counsel. You got financial problem, Bill and Maureen Sitter in here, just to name a few, have financial freedom. They've spent their career and lives helping people manage their money, get out of debt, and get on their feet well. You got other issues in your own personal life, an uncontrollable habit, alcoholism, drug addiction. Look, even God can't help you till you ask. You've got to acknowledge you got a problem. Everybody has a problem at some point, and the key is asking. Don't be afraid to ask. See, people are afraid of rejection. Hearing somebody say no ain't permanent no. No is just something somebody uses until they're fully persuaded you're right. <laughs> you're, you're denying yourself the opportunity to advance by not asking. And not asking is a guaranteed surefire no. Huh? At least asking gives me a 50-50 chance of getting a yes. Don't reject yourself. Take the risk. Ask for what you need. Ask for what you want. Keep on asking. Ask for a better table. Ask for a raise. Ask for an upgrade at a hotel with an oceanside view. Ask for the prettiest girl in school to date you. If you don't ask, it ain't going to happen. Some of you singles who won't ask the prettiest girl for a date or for coffee, and some of you ladies who won't ask a good man with career security but who's too shy to ask you out, have exactly what you've asked for, nothing. And as Dr. Phil said, how's that working for you? Shoot, I'm going to ask. I'll embarrass my wife. Sometimes we go to a restaurant, maybe they're busy, and they'll say, follow me, please, and they'll take their little menus, and they'll walk over here, and the doors are near the kitchen. And I'll look around as we walk in. I see something up by a window or something. I say, excuse me, ma'am, I happen to know you're helping the waitress over here who has no business. You're not thinking about me, the paying customer, or you wouldn't have a job. I said, would you please mind if we had that table over there? I have never, ever been refused. Now, my wife is very kind. She'll line up to go in the gas chamber. She'll just line up. <laughs> I will say, excuse me, can't we have that? Do you mind? I'll be very courteous about it, but I'll ask. Look, that's a fact. I'll, I remember checking into a country, and, and we had maybe, I don't know, eight jumbo jets land when I, about 30 years ago in South Africa. You had to have a visa. You had to, lie, they say, queue up, line up, and there must have been 1,000, 2,000 people in that room waiting to go through customs, and it was slow as menopause. I mean, it was just slow. <laughs> And we're tired, dehydrated, been flying 17 hours, bags in our hand, waiting to get to a cusp. And I look to my left, and I see a sign. It says, flight crew and first class. Well, I'm not the flight crew. I'm not in first class. But there ain't nobody in that line. And I'm thinking, I had my—you ask all my friends that travel me. I had my tickets, had my passport. I made sure I was, I was hair comb, I was clean. I took my bags. I walked over to that line. I made sure to make eye contact with the lady cups. I said, Guimora, which is good morning in Afrikaans. I said, good, what a beautiful day. Oh, amazing. How has the weather been this way forever? I'm just keeping her eye contact. Hand her my passport and my ticket, and it says business on it. doesn't say first. She just talks to me, talks to me, and and I just walked right on out into the—and the guys over here in the line that went with me said, you can't do that. You, I did it. I did it. 
All she could say is, no, I'm in the back of the line. What have I got to lose? I'm not going to lie, but she didn't ask me. I didn't tell. I went right on through. I'm going to ask her. Shoot yeah. I've done that all my life. Well, 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 what? Suck your thumb, drink Maalox, and go cry, all right? I'm going to ask. All I can get is a no. I got no going for me now. All she can say if you're on a date, something is you want to date somebody, well, no, I'm busy. Maybe she is. Maybe she's not. Maybe you need to be persistent, but you're going to have to ask. Here's what James chapter 4, verse 2 says. Wake up. You have not because you ask not. Even God operates on that principle. Asking is imperative, not optional. You got to ask, ask, ask. A couple of principles to asking. Let me give you four. Number one, ask as if you expect to get it. I'm going to expect a yes. Ask from the position you've already received it, and in the Bible, that's called faith. Number two, ask somebody with the authority to give it to you. You could be asking a non-decision maker. I've had people say, well, I went over here, I did that, I didn't. I said, well, you should have asked for me. I could have fixed that for you. They didn't ask the right person. So before you do this asking, make sure you're talking to the right person, someone who's empowered to make that request come true, or else you're wasting your time. Three, ask clearly, ask specifically. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us is who. This day is when. Bread is what. Lord, please help us. We need more money. Okay, here's a quarter. (laughs) I need more than that. Well, be specific. You didn't, you were general. More. 25 cents is more. But I need 10,000 more a year. Well, say so. Say exactly. You think God's going to cut? You know, when my grandchildren, Mia particularly, because she's a little bit older, she doesn't hesitate to ask me for anything. Poppy, uh, can we—I think we have—this is her setting me up. Poppy, we—I pick her up at school. We have time to go by the nail salon and get my nails done, and then we could stop over at Orange Leaf. I think that would be all right. She's already, in her mind, got it. And guess what Poppy says? Yes. Yes. Welcome to the house of yes, Mia. You want chocolate on your cereal? Yes. You want an iPhone? Yes. Ask me. And sometimes I'll turn around and say, what do you think Poppy's going to say when she asks me something? She'll grin. She'll say, yes. Yeah. Well, I said, if you being evil know how to give gifts to your children or grandchildren, how much more shall your heavenly Father do to those that ask Him? You guys don't have a grouchy daddy. You don't have a dad who's mad at you for some big, ugly failure in your past. He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. For crying out loud, He gave His all for you. How, why would He turn you down? He's not against you. He's for you. He didn't have a grudge. Some of you are too chicken to pray big. And you lived small, thinking, well, I guess it's my race, my color, my gender, my education, my IQ, what I scored on my SAT exams, where I live, my neighborhood, my relative. No. There's millions of people that exploded out of those areas. They decided to live bold and live big and to ask and keep on persisting until life got better. You really do need, you know, some of you, and I'm not speaking specifically, some of you settle for too little. You just take no for no. You don't, you don't overcome anything. And I thought you live a very limited life. Remember I told you that little 
joke about the guy who went to the fortune teller, have his palm read, paid her. She looked at it and said, I see many things. He said, what do you see? I see you're going to be poor and unhappy till you're 45. Oh, my God, what happens at 45? You get used to it. <laughs> and some of you have gotten used to small living. And I want to wake up something in you that says, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't have to live like this. I'm a child of the King. He's given me access to heaven, given me access to promises. I must access it. Me. I've got to ask. You ask. You receive. Now, not, don't, well, I just hope it'll happen. Look, ain't no pixie dust going to fall on you in here. No, but you're going to walk out of here, whoo, something fell on me. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably that lady behind you. She probably did. But I, I don't know what happened. All I'm saying is, I know you got to, God says, I want you to come to me, and I want you to ask. And look how we come to Him. You go to some churches, they want you to crawl. Crawl on your, oh, God will love that. You're humble. But it says in Hebrews 4, let us come boldly before His throne to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do my kids come to me? How do my kids on their worst day come to me? How do my grandchildren? They just blow through the door, bam, they make those requests, and they don't think about the cost, inconvenience, or what mood I'm in. They don't care. Now, God says, could you be like a little kid? You've had them, and you can't turn them off. You know that. So don't take no for an answer. Keep on asking until God gives us that increase, all right? Fourth, don't be afraid to ask repeatedly. And by the way, back on that last one about specifics, maybe you need, you got more kids and you need a fourth bedroom. Ask God. Ask God for a great housing deal. We have people in real estate in here. Well, I know, but you think they're just going to buy osmosis or a word of knowledge? No, you're on the fourth row on the fifth side up in the balcony, and they're going to, they're going to come to you with the note, say, here's the address, it's for rent, you want to go check it out? It doesn't happen that way. Go and ask somebody in the business, say, you got any four bedrooms at a very reasonable price? We need an extra bedroom. Talk to God about it. He's for your family and for your children. Why not? I mean, who, I'd rather talk to him than the government or somebody. He, he can pull strings and make things happen. And when you're in a big family like this, there's all kinds of connections, medical, political, legal, all kinds of people, children, child care, medical. It's like there's a connection waiting for you. But you know, you'd fly on that old Lone Ranger flag, too proud to ask for help, and you, nothing going to happen until you can admit you have a problem, admit you have a need, and ask for help. God, I've called many of my friends to say, in this situation, have you ever had it? And if you have, what would you do? If you haven't, what do you think you would do? That's free. That's a phone call. Yeah. I look at some people and I say, what? Who did you talk to? Nobody. The Lord told me. I want to slap you into the middle of midnight, the Lord told me. Let me tell you what God says to some of you, say, well, the Lord told me, so you can't talk to me. The Lord says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be confirmed. And if you're the only witness, you suck. You are lying. God does not speak to you only two or three witnesses, or you're headed for trouble. In the multitude of counsel, there's safety. You got to make the call, agreed, but get some good wisdom before you do. How hard is that? Some of you ever heard of Google? That helped too. <laughs> Number four, I'm stoked, okay? <laughs> and I didn't have any coffee. Don't be afraid to ask repeatedly over and over. Might need to ask on a better day when someone's in a better, better mood, not so much under stress. Ask when you got better information. 
Dr. Herbert True, a marketing specialist at Notre Dame University, found the following. 94% of all salespeople quit after the fourth call, and that 60% of all sales are made after the fourth call. So think of it this way, 94% of all salespeople did not give themselves a chance to win 60% of the pie because they got tired of asking. So ask and ask, and I'm telling you, when you decide what you want, ask for it. Some of you parents said years ago to your child, absolutely there will never be a dog, and animal in this house. And those little kids persisted maybe for two years or more, and today you've got a cute little dog, cat, snake, or bird in your house. Why? Your child's persistence to keep on asking. Don't be afraid to ask. Learn what I call the SWSWSW formula. What's that, Rick? Some will, some won't, so what? That's it. If you ask and get turned down, reject rejection. If somebody has rejected you and you're a child of God, it's going to turn out for your betterment. When Alexander Graham Bell offered the rights to his telephone to Carl Orton, who was president of Western Union, Orton said, quote, what use would this company have for an electronic toy? And he rejected owning all the telephones in the world for $100,000. Help me, Jesus. Not good. See, when something or something gets rejected in your life, recognize that God has something so good on the other side of that rejection you can't possibly imagine. He's for you. So ask. Ask big and keep asking. Notice Proverbs 15, 8, God has absolute willingness to answer your prayer. The prayer of the upright is His delight. God delights in that. That means God claps His hands with joy when His children gather to pray. Why? Because God is powerless to do anything until you ask Him. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14, let me hear your voice. God wants to hear from you. And if the only time God hears from you is when you get in trouble, get ready to stay in deep yogurt for most of your life, because Daddy wants to hear you and from you. As powerful as God is, He can't answer your prayer until you ask. He can conquer sickness and disease, but only when you agree, when you ask. He can move mountains of impossibilities. He can shatter the shackles of misery and habit when you agree. He can bind what you bind. He can lose what you lose. His ear is not deaf. His arm is not shortened. He has the power to do exactly what you need Him to do in your life. He's Jehovah Jireh, your provider. He's Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. He is absolutely ready and mighty to perform acts of greatness to demonstrate it to you. Now, let me close by giving you quickly, rapid fire, seven conditions for answered prayer. Number one, pray in the name of Jesus. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Not Buddha's name, not Muhammad's name, not some apostle's name, not the Virgin Mary's name, not Joseph Smith's name, but the name of Jesus, who is Christ, the Son of the living God. For there is one God and one mediator, that's a go-between, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, buddy, how clear can that be? Some of you need to clear your dash of all the statues. They ain't helping you at all. Put your mother-in-law's picture up there or something. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's it. One. Uno. Dos. Did, I got that right. Okay. Whatever. All right. Romans 8.32. 
He God who did not spare His own Son, Jesus, how shall He God not with Him, Jesus, freely give us all things? God never gives us anything without Christ in the equation. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory, and finish it by or through the authority of Christ Jesus. See? So God will supply all your need according to His riches in glory through the authority of Jesus Christ. That name of Jesus is a precious name, it's a powerful name, it's a saving name, it is a conquering name. It is a name above every name. You can take it to the bank. When the smallest child or the weakest human whispers the majestic name of Jesus, every demon in hell trembles in fear. When the sick and disease whisper that name, Jesus, sickness and disease start to disappear. And Jesus is still our great physician. When the man or woman in suffering from loneliness whispers the name of Jesus, the friend that sticks closer than a brother appears, and darkness is conquered, and the light of the world fills that room. You mention that name above every name, fear vanishes, faith explodes, depression rolls away, the shackles of misery and habit are broken, and the chains of addiction are shattered. Jesus is the mighty conqueror. You mention that name, angels fold their wings in worship. Mention that name in prayer. God the Father will open prison doors and set captives free. The lame leap with joy. The blind see. The deaf hear. Principalities and powers are bound. He forgives the unforgivable. He will love the unlovable. He will show mercy to the merciless, and He will give hope to the hopeless. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Smoke that, Mohammed. Try that, Buddha. And no name above that name. Sling that name around all the time. Yes, sir, you be a name dropper. You drop that name, the J-bomb, Jesus, Yeshua. Yes, sir. He's our Savior, our friend, our deliverer, our counselor, our comforter, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and of His kingdom there shall be no end. We've watched them come. We've watched them fall. We've watched leaders rise. We've watched leaders fall of His kingdom. There shall never be an end. Names are important. When you pray, pray in the name of Jesus. Two, pray with praise and thanksgiving. Psalms 104, enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Isaiah 60, verse 18, violence shall no longer be heard in your land, but you shall call your walls salvation, and your gates praise. In ancient days, the gates of a city kept the enemy out. But God is saying, through the praise and thanksgiving of my people, it opens the gates of heaven. When you begin to praise the Lord, heaven opens up its gates to receive you, because only then do you get inside that inner court. Philippians 4, 6. Sorry for reading so much Bible, but we are a church, and I am a Christian. All right. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known. No matter what I'm praying for, I'm going to end it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that that deliverance is on the way. Thank you that healing is being activated, even if I don't feel anything. I'm doing what He said to do. So the power of praise is a weapon in spiritual warfare. Use it. Second Chronicles 20, King Jehoshaphat of Judah is terrified. Three army nations are marching against him. He's toast. Would you be upset if several hundred thousand soldiers were coming to kill you? 
today. That'd improve your prayer life. Anybody get upset about that? Yeah, I think so. So here's the solution. He didn't call for other kings to come. He didn't ask for troops from an allied nation. It says in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And they went out in front of the army singing praise to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the enemies, and they were all smitten, and not one escaped. The enemy lay dead because God's people began to praise and celebrate the glory of God. Judah's weapon of mass destruction and yours is this praise, the high praises of God. I mean, you have no idea how it silences the enemy. Now, some of you come in here from high church and you observe. Oh, I'll give them a 5.4 on that one. Oh, that was good. And you observe. Listen, the only observer, the only spectator in church is God. Every one of us is a minister. Every one of us is singing, shouting. Some of us don't sing so good, but we're singing in a crowd. So you, I've been to, I've played and been to many rock and roll concerts, and people who are awful sing out loud. That's a fact. I've been with them in the stands, a stadium, up front, and it's so loud, nobody knows you're off key. Nobody knows you can't remember the words. They're just shouting and screaming, right? You go, some of you cheer over a bag of zipped-up air and a football. You won't come to church. You're like a wooden Indian. Sit there. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first, and you going. You going. I mean, dead. Some churches call EMS for a dead person, they'd have to carry out 20 or 30 to find them. They wouldn't know. And I'm telling you, a noisy church is a good church. And God says the praises of His people are like thunder in heaven. So I don't know where we got this quiet nonsense. This praise is a weapon. Some of you come in with two songs left to go or half of the last song. I can't figure that out. You have a wrong mindset. Well, I wish we had longer worship. Well, if you'd show up early, we, you'd get longer. The reason you're not going to get anything, you don't get the program, see? God says, look, I inhabit the praises of my people. Some of you ain't even built him a little add-on. I mean, but come on, the higher that praise, the more volume in that praise, the more the presence of God comes and the enemy's power is shackled. People get healed. People suddenly feel better. Depression lifts. That's part of God's plan. That's not a Baptist service, a charismatic service, assembly of God. That's a Christian Bible service. Let the high praises of God be in your mouth. Clap your hands, O you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. It's hard to get white folks to shout. I need all my black folks and my Hispanic folks to help them out. I like a yes, come on. Woo! It's not fanaticism. That's absolutely righteous, and it's right. I want the enemy to find it so loud singing about Jesus, he leaves. He can't stand it. Some of you are going to feel better. You don't even know why. It won't even be the sermon. It'll just be the fact the yoke of the enemy has been broken through the praises of his people. Now, I'm just quoting Scripture. I don't know how you're going to refute that. Just rebel against it. This was a physical confrontation with Jehoshaphat, and he won it with a spiritual weapon. 
When you face a physical confrontation, the victory is always in the spiritual realm because the spiritual realm rules the physical. The things that are not seen are greater than things that are seen. The God you cannot see and the angels you cannot see are waiting for you to speak God's Word, and they will spring into action and bring you victory. Some of you in this room are going through a great spiritual trial. You're surrounded by enemies that seem overwhelming. Don't panic. Start praising the Lord for the mighty victory God is about to send you that you can't see with your natural eyes. The Bible says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Well, Rick, do you feel like it every day? No. That's why it's called a sacrifice. It's rare. It's precious. It hurts. That's a sacrifice. Offer the sacrifice of praise. And I'll tell you what, I always feel better. I might have come in feeling lower in a whale's belly, but boy, I went out high as a kite. I, it lifted. It's a fact. It's a fact. So you don't just worship or pray or give when you feel like it. If we all stayed married when we feel like it, we'd all be single. I, I, hey, I can say that. The next week I got an anniversary for 42 years with this beautiful lady over here. She ain't always felt like keeping me. And sometimes the feeling's mutual. So. You just made a commitment, you keep your word, and through your discipline, you press on through. Feelings come, feelings go. That's kind of life. Don't live by your feeling. Live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You will never be disappointed. You'll never come up short. So with the weapon of praise, speak to your tormentors in Jesus' name. Command them to be bound and to be defeated and to be crushed by the mighty hand of God. At that time, you lift your hands in that room, not the car if you're driving, and say, I praise you, God the Father, for the victory over the world, over the flesh, and over the devil. I praise you for healing occurring in my body. I praise you for restoring sevenfold what Satan has stolen from me. I praise you for restoring the financial stability of my business. I praise you for healing in my marriage, for restoring the love and joy Satan stolen from me. I praise you for giving me victory over a spirit of depression, victory over anger, over resentment, over bitterness. Thank you there's victory in Jesus, and I receive it now, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you. I praise you. See, you do it every day. You do it all the time. There is a miracle in your mouth. Your mouth is the focal point of spiritual warfare. Psalms 34, 1, His praise shall continuously be in my mouth, not your whining. Psalms 51, 1, my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Psalm 71, 8, let my mouth be filled with your praise. All you latecomers, I hope you're listening to this. That's from God the Father to you. <laughs> Ain't no, well, I, traffic's bad. Well, then leave early. Yeah, leave here, come have a coffee, meet people, help the family. In. Hey, I haven't met you. My name's Joe. What's your name? Good to see you. What, what side do you sit on over here? What do you do? How long have you been here? Interact with some, make some friends. Get out of this. We're coming to a concert attendance, and we got in just as the lights went on or whatever. <laughs> this, is, this is the kingdom of God. Anything can happen, and it probably will, you know? <laughs> Expect a miracle and something. So, demon spirits also operate through the mouth. Revelation 16, verse 13, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, the mouth of the false prophet, unclean spirits like frogs. Remember when Peter, who's an apostle, said to Jesus, you're not going to the cross, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That unclean spirit spoke right out 
of a good man's mouth. Be careful how you use that mouth. So your mouth is the source of power, of life and death, the source of health and healing, the source of blessing and cursing. Be careful what you say, because God and the devil are both listening to your words. God watches over His Word to perform it. Satan watches over your words to perform them. So I want to make sure what he's hearing out of me is what God said. And remember from Genesis 3, in the garden, first interaction with a human being, Satan comes immediately to contradict God's Word. Hath God said. Yeah. She should have shot back, yeah, you big mouth, he did, and it still stands. Yeah. And we'd all be naked in the garden today, but uh, <laughs> she didn't, and he didn't. And they didn't believe what God said about them. They believed God was tricking them, didn't want them to have a full, rich life. And as a result, the whole world went to hell in a handbasket. And then God had to redeem it again out of His great love. Watch it. Watch it. Psalms 149, watch praise as a weapon, verse 6 through 9. May the high praises of God be in your mouth and a double-edged sword in your hand to inflict vengeance on the nation and punishments on the people, to bind their kings with fetters and their nobles with chains of iron. This is the glory of all God's saints. Kings and nobles mentioned here are principalities and powers in the kingdom of darkness. So praise conquers Satan. It silences the enemy. It wraps him in chains. Some of you would do a little bit louder and a little bit more focused if you actually knew that and believed it. When you praise God, you silence the avenger. You crush his ability to perform in your family, in your business, in your home group, and in your church. You have the ability to do that through praise and the power of God. Think about that. And number three, pray without wrath and pray without doubting. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, I would therefore that all men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Well, I'm not a Pentecostal, or you're a Christian, or you're just dumb. I would that all men lift up holy hands. I remember being in a Baptist church, and I says, that's clear Scripture. You told me the Bible is the Word of God. It's without error. It's infallible. It's God-breed. Now, would you obey it? And it says, I don't care if you're Catholic, Chevrolet, Mercedes, Oldsmobile, or you go. It says, lift your hands unto the Lord and shout to the Lord. This is Bible. This is not a denomination. I'm a child of God. So I want everybody, he says, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Wrath is the sin of uncontrolled anger. Doubting is the sin of unbelief in God's Word. So how seriously does God take you and my not believing His Word. I often hear these little intellectual midgets say, well, I don't believe the Bible, as though that's some kind of an intellectual accomplishment. Revelation 21.8 says, but the fearful and the unbelieving, that's doubters, and the abominable and murders and whoremongers and liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. And folks, I want to get my name off that list. That's not a red carpet list I want to be on. You want to start looking for a way to believe what God has said. John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So that's one thing I can take to the bank. If God said it, he's never changed his mind, and it's always true. And last, uh, pray with the right motive. Uh, the right motive is God's glory. Who said so? John 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
So if what you're doing does not bring glory to the Son, what you're doing is probably corrupt to the core. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in Jesus are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, how does that play out? When God heals your body, you tell everybody you know what a healing Jesus He really is. When God provides for you, you testify to every person with a need, God is a provider and that He has met your name. What are you doing? Giving Him glory. You're not taking the glory, you're giving Him the glory. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. He will open doors no man can close. He is the omnipotent, almighty God, and God says, bring me glory. If you throw a football, you do it to the glory of God. Uh, uh, Hussein Bolt had a great article that I read. He's an ambassador for Jesus, and he uses that platform of speed to spread good news and gospel. I so admired that article. I tweeted it, and I hope if you follow us on, some of you don't know what Twitter is. Okay, I know. You're over 60, and you still have a rotary phone. Okay, well, anyway, you should look it up. It's pretty cool. Pray with the right relationships. That means forgiveness. Twenty-seven times, the Bible says in the New Testament, forgive us as we forgive those. If you're still hatred and anger and somebody hurts you, we had a man in our church, loved him dearly, he wrote a book, moved to Atlanta in business, has done very, very well. But I had known him, he had been in our church, and he said for 20 years he had a lawsuit pending racial uh, 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 discrimination in a particular kind of a business, and it was eating him alive. And I says, look, you've got, in 20 years, forgive them. They're guilty, forgive them. You are not free. You're dying of poison. You, you, you drank the poison. You hope they'll die. Nothing's changed. You're right. You're absolutely right. But here's our weapon. Forgive him. Forgive him and move on. He did. And within 12 months, he got a big job promotion. They wrote a new book together. They're active in a big church there in Atlanta, Georgia. And the secret was forgiveness. Forgive. Don't let anybody, an ex-spouse, a parent, a teacher, a co-worker, a partner, don't let anybody take control of your life. No one has that right but God. Don't let somebody dictate the outcome of your life because of what they did. The command is to forgive. And if you won't forgive, then God says, I don't have the power to forgive you. So, you know, somehow people think in their own foolish way, I'm going to have a better life if I blame my mother, blame my father, blame my school teacher, blame the government, blame somebody else for my bad behavior and wrong choices in life. But I tell you again, you are responsible. Maybe they did it, but my responsibility is to forgive them and move on. And the way out of prison and say is, in Jesus' name, Father, I choose to forgive them. And it's not for their benefit, it's for yours. It's about you being well, not them. Forget them. And it's not an emotion, it's a choice. Love isn't an emotion. I feel love and don't feel hate, love and don't feel anything. I, I, I cycle ups and downs. But love is a choice. It's not, an, it's not a feeling. Feelings come and go. Uh, <clears throat> discipline is a choice. I don't ever roll out of bed feeling disciplined. I had, with 27 hours of jet lag, I, I didn't feel anything until I got a hot cup of coffee. But I showed up, I got dressed, brushed my teeth, prayed up a little bit, got ready. Why? I'm disciplined. 
I'm going to make, I'm going to make my choice. If Cindy's not nice to me and I don't feel good and I don't think she deserves me and I don't think she, she <laughs> ought to be nice, I'm still taking the trash out, feeding the cats, watering the plants. I'm still doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I just press on through when I don't feel like it. And that's the only reason you're going to stay married. And you know it's true. Don't look at me sanctimoniously. Yes, yeah, true. You just got to play when you hurt. You got to play when you don't feel like it. And it's a choice. I had to forgive my father for abandoning a family for abuse uh, and not ever being there. Married five different times. And I grew up with grandparents and tossed around to relatives. All I decided was, I'm not going to have a home like that. Daddy, you, maybe you don't know better. Maybe it's your background. I forgive you. You're still a sorry husband, a sorry daddy, but I forgive you. Didn't change anything. I mean, it didn't, didn't make, make him better, but I'm free. And my wife remembers when I did it and flew him around the world to my expense. Uh, and I made those things right, so whenever daddy kicks off or whatever, I don't have to go weep and cry. I'm, I'm fine. He's fine. There's no bad memories at all, you know. He was a great motivator for me to want to stay married, get a home, and have my kids want to come love me and know me and to make friends. He actually helped me. You can turn it around, or you can just suck your thumb and say, my daddy didn't love me, and now you're 60 years old, and you, you're, you, you would rather be a victim than a victor. You would rather not take responsibility. Remember Jesus walked up to a man been sick 38 years, laying at a pool at the hospital, Bethesda. Listen to this question. Here's the Almighty God in the flesh. You want to be well? <laughs> you want to give up your handicap sticker? You want to give up government funding? You want to actually get a job, have to interact with people, make some friends, lay your life down a little bit? Are you happy just to lay there in that wheelchair and, uh, and let everybody come feel sorry for you? I find that interesting. I just found that interesting. And boy, he did want to get well, and Jesus healed him. He's up and out. A lot of people don't want to get well. They'll use that little victim mentality to make you codependent with them, particularly some relatives. They, would, they hadn't had a good day in their whole life. They don't want to get well. They don't want to have to make friends and get out. They want everybody, Grandma, how are you feeling? Oh, my lumbago's work. I've got diflugus at a new gag. The doctor said no cure for that. And he's giving me some, her open it up, look like Walgreens Pharmacy in a purse. <laughs> they got to get these drug addicts off the street. Grandma, you got all the drugs in town right there. I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting off track. I know. I'm, I better close. All right. I know. So, forgive. It allows me to walk out of the prison of despair and depression. I'm free from the guilt of the past and all the horrible things that have happened either to me or you. And if you want to get over it and get past it, you just say, in Jesus' name and by His grace, I forgive you. I forgive you. You want an example? The cross. Son of God has been betrayed. Son of God has been lied about. The Son of God had a kangaroo court, falsely convict him. He's been nailed. He's been punished. He's laying on the cross there. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's your example. Here's what we'd have said. I'll get you when I come back. <laughs> you just wait. <laughs> Payday someday is coming. No, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
And six, let me just skip over this, Romans 8, 14, the prayer has to be directed by the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Holy Spirit are the sons of God. That means sometimes the Holy Spirit helps out my weakness. I don't know how to pray, but I pray in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit makes intercession to the Father for, with groanings that can't be uttered. Read Romans 8, verse 26. Sometimes I just pray in a prayer language unto the Lord, knowing He's, I don't know what to pray about that situation, Lord. So I just pray, and the Holy Spirit says, I'll translate it somehow and make it clear to the Father what needs to be done. Beautiful. It's a tool. It's not a merit badge. It's simple. And last, pray according to the Word of God. Pray according to the Word of God. You can never be in error if you pray God's Word. Luke 1.38, be it unto me according to your Word. 1 John 5.14, if we ask anything according to His will, which means it's in God's Word, He hears us. And I will do, I think I could say it'll do you absolutely no good to pray for something God's Word declares He opposes. Forget it. It ain't going to be answered. We live by the clear dictates of God's Word, not by the culture of the opinions of man, not by Hollywood, not by new political referendums and the changes of law. God's Word never changes, so we live by every Word of God. Amen. When you pray, you pray God's Word, and God will give it to you in Jesus' name. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.